the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. This is going to sound pretty shocking in the age of streaming music and ubiquitous playlist curation, but in the olden days, people used to listen to entire albums. Seriously, start to finish. Now, I know people don't really do that anymore. We live in the age of the single and whatever's at the top of your suggested Spotify playlist, and no one has the attention span to really engage with an entire album. There's so much content available, and none of us have the patience to stick around if music doesn't grab us straight away. But when I started buying my own music, artists could afford to take their time to be a little more indulgent with the way they rolled out their albums. You'd often hear an album starting out with a slow build. They had the luxury of unveiling their new material in whatever way they saw fit, because it wasn't as easy to just skip to the next thing. And a lot of 90s bands chose that gentler route, including a lot of grunge bands. The intro to Once, the opening track on Pearl Jam's Monster Hit 10, it's a full 38 seconds of slow jam noodling. So yeah, grunge had its fair share of albums that were willing to give you some semblance of a polite introduction. Dirt by Alice in Chains is not one of them. This episode of The Opus, we're getting a little nerdy. We're going to take a look at what makes Dirt tick. The guitar sounds, the production, and of course, those legendary vocal harmonies. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Adam Unz, and this is The Opus. That is Them Bones. It's the opening track on Dirt, and it really knocks your socks off right away, doesn't it? This is not an album that wants to shake your hand and introduce itself before it gets started. This is an album that drives a bulldozer through your living room wall. There's no time to adjust or catch your breath or prepare yourself. This music attacks you. It, it gets its hooks into you and just never lets go. When you turn it on, the first thing you hear is Them Bones. And that's like one of the, the great album openers of 
of all time. Andy Polito from the band Goon clearly feels the same way. It kind of reminds me of like 15 Step by Radiohead, like how it's just like, oh, the record starts with just such a classic song. Totally different worlds, but it's just such a banger of an opener. It's just like you're at you top it in a way, you know, it's just the, the, the sickest riff and like you can party to it too. Like you can like be tailgating at like a Seahawks game or something and like that's just there. And that's it, it won't it won't bring the vibe down at all. It's like everyone just wants to be like hell yeah, like just a, what a track on the whole record. It's it's to combine everything they did on it and, and put out a song that's just deep as that is pretty gnarly. The very first sound you hear is Lane Staley crying out. It's this kind of ah. It's, it's short, it's sharp, and it's this perfect introduction to an album full of surprises and sonic innovations. And get this, it was an ad lib. They were in the studio recording that song, and Lane just said, oh, I hear a little vocal part I want to put in the song. They played the track back, and he timed those little yelps to Jerry Cantrell's guitar riff. This absolutely iconic rock moment was just pulled out of thin air. Lane Staley's vocals are revered throughout the rock and heavy music worlds. He brought this pain and this experience beyond his years to his singing. At the time when Alice in Chains recorded their debut album, Facelift, Lane's voice was already something special. But you gotta remember, Alice in Chains were kids when they recorded Facelift. Lane was only 23. His voice was just starting to achieve its full power. And when Facelift came out, the band toured all over the place. They played these huge venues on the road with Megadeth and on the Clash of the Titans tour where they were swimming upstream, playing to crowds who didn't come to see them. And then they toured on their own and played to crowds who did. And every time they played, Lane's voice got better. By the time the band hunkered down to record Dirt, his voice was a finely tuned instrument. He went into that booth and knocked each take out of the park. But the real magic kicked in when Jerry Cantrell added his harmonies. Check out these isolated vocals from Them Bones. I them bones are me. There are no other grunge bands with vocal harmonies like Alice in Chains. I mean, I don't think there are any bands with vocal harmonies like theirs. There's something about the contrast between a really heavy track with these super dark lyrics and these tight, almost sweet-sounding voices blending together so beautifully. Lane and Jerry sound incredible and they complement each other so well. Those vocal dynamics had a huge impact on Gina Gleason from the band Baroness. Quite a few times this past year when we were like tracking vocals and stuff for our new record, we like... We'll often reference like some of their harmonic arrangements with the vocals. Like that was always my favorite thing about Allison Chains, like them bones. Like the riff is amazing. And then they have these like really complex vocal arrangements, but it doesn't sound complex when you listen to it. It just like fits right in in such a cool way. And like that was always really striking to me about specifically dirt. It's just like it has the heaviness and like the vibe of you know stuff like jar of flies where it's like re- really like vocally harmonic but it's just like super heavy too it's like awesome and you know what she's not alone 
Everyone loves Alice in Chains vocal harmonies, and a big part of that is because they're so unusual. Unusual for any rock band, but particularly for grunge bands. I mean, of course, other bands used vocal harmonies, but they didn't put them front and center like Alice in Chains. In fact, according to Jerry, some people were known to call them the Satanic Everly Brothers, which I absolutely love. I kind of think it's pretty apt, like especially when you take into account that Lane was singing tenor and Jerry added in this kind of lower baritone-ish timbre. When they sang together, Lane and Jerry sounded like two halves of the same whole. Once you hear how pure and clear they sounded singing together, you can't imagine dirt without those harmonies. And I think the emotional weight of that effect comes through even clearer on slower, sadder songs. The harmonies on Down in a Hole are just heartbreaking. Down in a hole Feeling so small Down in a hole Losing my soul All of that pain and sadness in the lyrics channeled through those voices, it punches you in the gut. And then you layer on the instrumentation. That sound was so unique in the world of grunge and hard rock. When you think of that kind of music, I'm guessing that lush vocal harmonies are not the first thing that come to mind. And that's because it's totally outside of the box thinking, but it just worked. And that sound has touched and inspired so many people, including lots and lots of musicians. Lane Ulrich from the band Taipei Houston, and uh, his first name, by the way, is not a coincidence. His dad, Lars Ulrich, from Metallica, actually named him after Lane Staley. So his ties to Alice in Chains run very deep. One of the coolest things that's most inspiring about Lane that I like a lot is that like he's not like on those records wasn't afraid to kind of like push it somewhere a little crazier or a little more out or something like that and like he has such a specific character of voice and like that's the stuff I really love as vocalists is people who have that like really distinct thing do you know what I mean and then like you know, also, like, I think it was cool seeing them push it into places, you know, like, specifically, like, I think, like, on Down in a Hole on that record, like, taking it into, like, a, quote, like, softer thing, but still it's, like, this really signature thing that he's doing and stuff, you know, and both of them together, obviously, like, they're, it's so great. But when it comes to the Dirt recordings, Lane and Jerry didn't achieve that end result on their own. In addition to their innate abilities, the special qualities that they were born with, in the Dirt Sessions, there was a little studio magic sprinkled on top, too. Alice in Chains worked with producer Dave Jordan on their debut album, Facelift, and after it became a huge success for the band, working with him on Dirt seemed like a foregone conclusion. Jordan had engineered and or produced some legendary artists, Talking Heads, the Rolling Stones, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Jane's Addiction, so he had a pretty astonishing track record before he started working with Alice in Chains. The man knew what he was doing. So, to enhance the richness of Lane and Jerry's vocals, he triple-tracked Lane's vocals and double-tracked Jerry's. You can really hear those layers in the recordings. And they take those vocal tracks, which are already so powerful on their own, and make them even more full-bodied and muscular. Then on top of that, Jordan added some pretty standard studio techniques, but used them in a way that yielded absolutely spectacular results. 
He put a specific delay effect on Lane's vocals to add some real power to the recordings. Jordan was so happy with the way that specific effect sounded, he named it Lane Staley. Sorry, I just need to repeat that for emphasis. He loved the way Lane's vocals came out so much, he named the production technique he used after him. That's quite an endorsement, isn't it? Then he threw a little reverb on it, which creates a slight echo and creates this sense of vastness. And the end result sounded like this. And then you add in the rest of the track. Here, there's a lot of other stuff going on outside of the vocals. And one other part that really stands out is Jerry Cantrell's chunky, heavy as a boulder guitar parts. Just like the harmonies, Jerry's guitar playing on this record is legendary. It provides this deep, rich bed for the rest of the album to lie on. A huge part of the album's notorious darkness comes from that sound. And it all starts with tuning. All of Alice in Chains' music is tuned a half step down. Musicians use that tuning for a few reasons, but in Alice in Chains' case, it really sets the scene. Okay, now are you thinking, I don't play guitar, I don't really understand guitar tuning, what does all of this mean? Don't worry, you don't need to understand all of the technical tricks to hear the effect they create. All you need to worry about is how the end result makes you feel. That tuning produces this atmospheric, aggressive moodiness, a sound that became prevalent in grunge and metal and lots of other heavy music. But Alice in Chains used that sound in such a brilliant way. They used that half-step down tuning to create this dark, doomy atmosphere before they even started playing any music. And on top of that, Jerry was, and still is, such a monster guitarist. He wrote most of the music so he could build these songs around his guitar parts. He was the only guitarist in the band. But you got these fat, chunky riffs on dirt, and you would never notice that there was only one person playing guitar. And part of that is down to some studio magic, too. They did this, like, three-amp trick for the guitars. This is Kenny Becker from Goon. Which I, I think it was the producer's idea. They would take like one guitar and like instead of playing it through one amp, they were splitting it to three and one amp was like for the low end. And then they would have one for the the mid range and one for the high end. And I don't want to say it it was necessarily ahead of its time because I wasn't, you know, I didn't really know what was ahead of its time back then. But it felt like when I learned that, I was like, okay, that's like some that's some next level, you know, stuff. Did you get that? No. Okay, well, uh, let me try taking a stab at explaining here. Dave Jordan and Jerry Cantrell double and triple tracked the guitar throughout the whole album, 
and then split that recording into different frequencies using multiple amps for each one. This stuff mostly goes over my head, but the results really speak for themselves. And it wasn't just limited to Jerry's guitar. Dave Jordan also used his studio wizardry to develop Sean Kinney's monster drum sound. But this time, he had a little help from a famous pal. Allison Chains recorded Dirt at one-on-one studio in Los Angeles, which is coincidentally the same place where Metallica recorded the Black Album. You know, their most successful album ever, Enter Sandman, etc. That one. So when it came time to record Dirt, Dave Jordan got a little pro tip from Lars Ulrich. Man, that guy just pops up all over the place, doesn't he? Anyway, Ulrich told Jordan that the studio had this big room with a woofer that was perfect for fattening up drum sounds. So Jordan rented a PA system and he ran the kick drums, toms, and snares through the woofer, and all of that went into the room sound. And, uh, yeah. I'm going to let Charlie Benanti from Anthrax break it down for you. The playing on dirt is a, is a whole other thing. Uh, the way Sean plays, I, I think Sean is, a, is an awesome drummer. He almost plays behind the beat. Not almost, he plays behind the beat. And Sean will just whip out one of these fills that's just like, oh, dude, that was so tasty. I love that, you know? Suffice it to say, Jordan pulled some Houdini moves with that drum setup, and the result sounded like the 4th of July. Just these big, explosive drums rumbling across every track on Dirt. All of this virtuosity and innovative thinking on every individual element of Dirt shows just how much care and attention went into its creation. And it's so obvious in the final product. But even stripping away all the bells and whistles, just taking this group of musicians on their own, raw vocals, naked musicianship. That's the spark that lit this fire and produced an album that sold millions and millions of copies. All of those disparate sounds coming together seamlessly to make this unforgettable music. Dallas Green of City and Color and Alexis on Fire could identify and appreciate the individual parts, but he saw them as one organism working toward a common goal. They were a great rock band. They gave you hit singles but they never lacked in their musicianship. It didn't ever seem like they were sacrificing their musicianship for a popular song. You know, it was like they became popular just being themselves. Alice in Chains is a band that you can pick apart and nerd out on and examine every minute detail under a microscope. And the next time you listen to the album, take some time to latch on to all those details and let yourself marvel at a group of genius musicians at the peak of their creative powers. But let's face it, that's not how the band wanted you to hear the music. You also need to zoom way out and appreciate the full effect of what they achieved. This finely tuned machine, this chain without a single weak link, is meant to be enjoyed in its entirety. So make yourself comfortable, kick back for 57 minutes and 33 seconds, and let this gigantic, complex, hard and heavy wave of sound crash right over you. Whoa!
On the next episode of The Opus, we're going to take a deep dive into another vital element that cemented Dirt's legacy. The lyrics. We'll talk about the stories behind those words, the broader themes explored on the album, and the impact that poetry had on Alice in Chains fans. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Adam Ons, and this has been The Opus. from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast.